0: I also want to talk to you today about this weekend's very special guest speaker. I'm in the fireside room at Faith Evangelical Church, our grandmother church of all things. The church, frankly, that I grew up in. My family moved to Billings when I was in eighth grade from Northern California. Some neighbors saw the moving truck at the vacant house across the street. They came over. They invited us to their church. We went with them that weekend, Faith Evangelical Church. We never even visited another church. Faith E became... Our church home, Pastor Steve Strutz, who will be sharing with us this weekend, became my pastor, has been my pastor for a very, very long time, since I was in eighth grade. It was my unbelievable privilege to get to, after some years away at college and doing some ministry in other places, get to come back to Faith Evangelical Church in 1998 and be the youth pastor, serving with him, getting to follow his lead right here in my home church. What a treat and a privilege that was. Steve has been a mentor, a coach, and a fantastic pastor to me for a very, very long time. Now, Steve is still the lead pastor at Faith Evangelical Church, but now he also wears another hat. He's my boss. He is our conference superintendent. He watches over the 20-some churches in our denomination in Montana, Wyoming, and North Dakota, and is a fantastic leader. He was elected a couple of years ago, and we're just delighted to get to follow him in this new season of his life. Would you please give a very, very warm Journey Church welcome to my friend, my boss, and my longtime coach and ministry mentor, Pastor Steve Strutz. Give it up. Give him your best attention and have a whole bunch of fun with him today. I'll see you real soon, Journey. Love you.
1: you got a good leader. Brian's a great guy. And uh, I've known him for quite a while. really appreciate the man and his family. And he's doing a great work here. And thanks for supporting him. And he did say some very nice things about me because I'm his boss. So... (laughs) Anyhow, glad you're here this morning, and and Journey Church does have a special place in our heart at Faith Evangelical, because you are our granddaughter, as uh, was already mentioned. And 10 years ago, I think it was this fall, um, the people in Billings at our church, and particularly Vern Streeter, the pastor at Harvest, really got a vision to start a church in another part of the city there in Billings. It had about 30-some thousand people, but really... I mean, there's some nice churches up there, but really not a real life-giving, uh, aggressive church, and they started the church, and they just exploded, and part of their DNA then was to have their own kids, and so they've had a couple, but Journey is one of them, so we feel like we're tied in with you guys, so uh, delightful church, I've had a good time being here, met some really nice people, most of them were nice to me, and uh, I even met some people who were from the church in Billings today, and uh, I feel bad for them, <laughs> they probably came up to hear somebody else, and, and they got to hear me, but anyhow, it's great to be here, and and I also want to introduce my wife, Janice. She's sitting right over here. Janice, would you stand up, please? She didn't like that. And uh, my son Luke's right there, too. He uh, plays bass once a while here at the church. And people say that he looks a lot like me. And he's sitting over there. He's a good-looking guy, okay? <laughs> hey, let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day. And thanks for the time of worship. Thanks for that testimony. Thanks for uh, Brian, uh, this church, uh, the other people I know here, and just the, just the way they're doing ministry here in the city pretty neat excited about this adventure they're on with a building and I pray Lord that somehow you'll speak to each one of us today whatever we're going through in our life you've got a vision for each one of us and some of us are pretty tired right now and we need you to pick up our spirits and we want to be strong for you and finish well so speak into our hearts through the guy named Nehemiah in Jesus name we pray amen brought a basketball up here with me this morning and just because I love to play just about any game you can imagine from bocce balls to whatever I just like to play games and compete and it kind of feels like my security blanket having this up here this morning but I learn a lot from athletics a lot and and I, I you know I don't play like I used to I didn't play that well to begin with but I, I do find the older I get the better I was I do find that but uh, um, any I learn a lot from athletics and for instance one time when I was playing on a little freshman team from Glasgow, we went to Glendive and we're playing the Glendive Red Devils. And we were, we were playing basketball and we were in the, the locker room before the game. And you know how those locker rooms are crazy. I mean, everybody's just getting all pumped up. And, and a guy named Pete Grovel got us all together. He was kind of our point guard and he got us all together in this circle. And he starts shouting stuff at us and we're yelling. And, and he says, All right, on the count of three, let's go get him. One, two, three, man. We, ah, we went running and Pete went running, hit the door, and we're following real close behind him about to beat the Glendive Red Devils, and we ran into about two feet of snow. He went out the wrong door. We went right outside, (laughs) and I learned a a great lesson. Don't follow Pete. (laughs) Another time, I remember our our sophomore team, I moved to Billings then, our sophomore team went to play a class C school uh, called Busby, and it's over there by Billings, and they were a good class C basketball team, very good, and we were sophomores, but we had big heads, and uh, we thought we could go in there and beat this very good class C team, and they had names of players, maybe some of them here today. A guy named Melbert Eagle Feathers, a guy named Jarvis Yellowrobe, a guy named Oliver Flying, and these guys were big and they could play the game. Well, anyhow, we went charging out there and we played our hearts out that first quarter, and the score was 22 to 20. We were ahead at the first quarter. Hey, then we got into halftime. The lead had shrunk to one. We were up 41 40. We're ahead of this very good Class C team. And we get in the locker room and we're just skying and we're 5-5 and he's hitting each other in the back and all and, and I'm not sure what happened at halftime but when we went out they absolutely throttled us. I think they beat us 100 and whatever to 67. Uh, they just crushed us. I learned a valuable lesson from that particular game and that is there's nothing as insignificant as a halftime score. <laughs> Journey Church, you, you, are on a, you are on a mission that God's given you. You are, you are moving ahead. You can see out there where you want to be. Your overall mission is to reach people who are far from God and introduce them to the only one that can change their heart and life around. That's Jesus Christ. And then to mentor them and, and, and grow them up to be complete, committed followers of Christ. What a vision. That's your overall vision. I know that. But along the way, God has you on these other journeys. And one of them is to complete the building out there. And get it accomplished. And I want to speak to you today about, uh, from, from the book of Nehemiah, a gentleman named Nehemiah that led a, an amazing project. And you're going to find that uh, they, were, they kind of came to a point where it was halftime. And they had to regroup and rethink. So we want to talk about that. And you guys are about, what, 70% done. you got a couple weeks left, Lord willing. You'll be into that new facility and be able to accomplish through that ministry tool many of the visions that God has for you. So if you have a Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. If not, I think they got it on the screen for us. And I want to just give you a little introduction to Nehemiah, and then we'll go from there. Now, Nehemiah, not much is known about him. He is a Jewish man. Uh, he's got a brother named Hananiah that we're going to be talking about here briefly, a father named Hakaliah. and uh, he was probably born during the exile. And if you followed the Jewish nation and the people of God and all that happened, you'll find that they experienced leadership that was good. And some that was not so good. And there was one time where Solomon was dethroned by God at a very important time in their history. And thus the whole nation was split. They all had to go into exile. They couldn't be in their own uh, place of worship. And on and on it goes. Well, eventually God allowed them to begin to come back with their people. And Zerubbabel was given the vision to rebuild the temple. And Ezra was given the vision and the charge to rebuild the people of God with the word of God. But then Nehemiah, the one we're talking about today, He's going to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king, King Artaxerxes, king of Persia, a great powerful nation at that time. He was a cupbearer. That's a trusted person right next to the king. When any kind of food or drink or anything happened, it was, it was like, a, like a bodyguard for the president or something. He had to taste the food, make sure there wasn't poison in it. He had to just ensure the safety and the comfort of the king. And along with that came some great benefits. Man, he got the best food. He ate the king's table every day. It was a prominent position. A lot of accolades came his way. I'm sure life was good. Life was comfortable. And I'm sure he said to himself, I could do this for a long, long, long time. This is good. Life is good. Well, one day a group came from Jerusalem, a group of men. And in that group, when they came to Susa where where Nehemiah lived, uh, his brother was in that group, Hananiah. And they had some small talk back and forth. Just like when my brother and I get together, we talk about, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, how's this going? How's that going? Great, great. What about this person, that person? And they were talking, and, and Nehemiah throws out to Hananiah his brother, says, how's life back in Jerusalem? That's the people of God. That's where God's people want to be. Well, his brother said, not good. Not good at all. In fact, the people of God are in distress, and they're under reproach, and the walls around the city of God are broken down and the gates are burned. Well, that conversation changed from that point on. Something happened deep inside of Nehemiah, and you can see it here in the text if you read back in chapter 1. Nehemiah, his legs buckled. It said he sat down and he wept. He just wept. And for some days, didn't say how many, Nehemiah mourned. He was grieving. He fasted. He didn't eat. And he prayed before the God of heaven. Why did he have such a reaction? Well, As we said, the people, his people, the people of God were under distress, and the people of God were under reproach. They're being put down by others. They're under somebody else's thumb, and the walls are broken down around the city, and the gates are burned. Well, what's so big about walls and gates? Uh, We don't have a wall around Bozeman, do we? I, I I got a fence in my backyard, and I guess when it blows down or something, we'll pull it back up, or if it breaks, we'll fix it. It's not that big a deal, but... The walls and the gates were extremely important. When I went to Haiti back a few years ago, I noticed the place we stayed, Haiti was an impoverished nation. It broke my heart. And we stayed in a mission compound. I almost felt kind of guilty staying there. It was very nice. And there was a wall around that compound. And it was quite high, about 8 feet, 9 feet. And it uh, it was quite thick. It was very solid. And it had broken glass and bottles and things like that kind of impressed in the cement up on the upper ridge. Plus, There was another two or three feet of barbed wire up above that. And I thought, man, what's the deal? And I noticed the gates were always locked and they had guards there. I thought, this is crazy. Well, I began to find out that it was for our protection and for our safety because uh, there were some great people in Haiti, but there were some evil people as well. And if they were free to reign and rove, uh, we could be in great trouble. So I appreciated that wall around that compound. Well, the walls of God's city provided the same thing, but they're down. There's no safety Uh, there's intimidation coming from the people from the outside on the people of God Uh, their place of worship, they can't worship uh, they can't worship in peace there's no front door, the enemies can just come and go as they want, intimidate them and do whatever they want anytime they want well when Nehemiah heard about the state of Jerusalem from his brother Hanani, man it just tore his heart out and he had what some might call he got a burden, he got a call of God what you might say is he got a vision from God this is unacceptable. We've got to do something about that. We, we've, got, we've got to get in there, and boy, it just broke his heart and took his heart. The people of God must be helped. And you can read about the miraculous things that took place back in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and it's amazing how God even used pagan kings and everything to allow them to accomplish this God-given vision. And by the way, I'll tell you the rest of the story. He completed with the people of God the building of that wall, and we'll find out how big it is in a moment, in 52 days. It's unbelievable. But I want to take you to Nehemiah chapter 4, just for a moment this morning, about 20 minutes worth here. And uh, it's halftime for the people of God in their work. But let me give you a sense of what's going on, because halftime is crucial, and the second half is tougher than the first half. Verse 1 says, when Sanballat, he was a Samaritan governor, did not like the people of God. When Sanballat heard that they, that we, God's people, were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, kind of the powerful people of Samaria, as they're looking on, he said this, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? You've got to be kidding. Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? That, that, that folks, is trash-talking. <laughs> and uh, if you've ever been to athletics, you probably didn't give any, but you received some of it and uh man i mean he's trash talking the people of god what are those feeble i mean man is that all you got come on it's impossible you can't restore the wall a little mockery of the religion and god in the midst and negative talk and on and on it goes impossible give it up you can't accomplish and then sanballat began to include others in this kind of negative trash talking time tobiah the ammonite sanballat's servant who was at his side listening to this, Sanballat's servant, Tobias, said this. What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down the walls of stone. And I remember a few weeks ago, I saw a fox as I was driving to church, and they're light little animals. They're not heavy like, you know, if you, said, Man, if you put a couple of elephants on there, I could envision maybe it breaking up. But, but a fox, in other words, the quality of this is just pathetic. You guys are doing horrible. Ha, ha, ha. That's what Tobias is saying. Now, I don't know if you ever hear things like that about Journey Church and the work that God's wanting you to do. I don't know if you ever get trash talk from the outside. I don't know if you get any of that, but i got to believe because you're doing God's work that you will get that and it will increase. And even this building thing, I'm sure that John and the others have heard things like, what are we thinking building such a big building? And why do we have so much land? And do you realize how much money that's going to cost? I mean, it's a recession. You're never going to get that accomplished. I don't care what Mr. Bryan says. We're not going to be in there by September 11th. And sometimes those things come and in waves and individually, and it can eat the heart of a leader right out. It can be very discouraging. I wish I could say that this crew, Nehemiah crew, weathered this volley of mocking and criticism, and from that point on. Man, the work went on, and it just happened without any more opposition. But I can't say that because it just gets worse. But he did pour himself out to God at this point, and I like it. He says, hear us, O God, verse 4. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. It's like he's saying, God, you take care of them. We got business to do. And verse 6 says what they did. So we rebuilt the wall in the midst of all that opposition, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their hearts. Man, they were into it. They were pouring themselves into this project. They were working hard, out there serving, cleaning, doing whatever. And they were half done. They're halfway there. Now the pessimists would say, man, we got half more to go. The optimists are saying, we're halfway there. I don't know what, what you are, but they're probably both in this audience today. But they're motivated. They're there. This is halftime. And they could as they went kind of into this halftime situation, they could hear their neighbors talking. They could see the opposition out there kinda of looking down their nose at what they're doing. They felt that opposition and pressure, but they've got to deal with it because the second half is always the hardest. Now I'll give you a little perspective about the Jerusalem wall. And I'm thinking back there at that time it's about the same as it is now. It's two point two and an eighth miles around. So that's a big, big wall. And it was built to thirty five feet high, which is probably higher than this roof, very high wall. I've been to Jerusalem, I've seen what's there now, it's very, very big, and 14 feet wide. So this is not a little picket fence, this is a big wall. And the rocks they built it with were one to three foot cubed rocks, so big, major rocks being built into that wall at that time. Huge push to get this accomplished. I don't know if Nehemiah had little visuals, little pictures of the vision like we often do in our, in our stateside situations, but wholeheartedly, they poured themselves into this, and they were exerting themselves, and they're half done. The walls are half built. Critical time in any game, critical time in any adventure, vision, journey that you're called to. You guys are at a crucial time right now. You're in that in-between stage when you've been working hard and you're tired. And now you're seeing the end, but you're still tired. And I'm sure there's been opposition and things that have come against you like crazy. Crucial time in your journey. They say in a race, I, I wasn't a runner, but I, I love to watch runners. And it's fun to watch good runners. I remember when I was in, I think I was probably when I was a freshman as well. They had an all-comers meet there in Glasgow. And I remember I was watching, watching the people get ready for the mile race. And they're doing all their stretches and getting ready. And there was one guy that had really long hair at that time, kind of abnormally long for that period of time, and he also had a medallion right here that kind of hung, and when he'd run, it'd swing back and forth, and he looked like he could run really well, and I was kind of impressed as he warmed up, and I thought, that guy's going to win this race, so I was kind of watching him, and man, they got up to the line, everybody's ready, boom, the gun went off, he looked like he got shot out of a cannon, he's out there in front, and he ripped around that first lap, and I'm telling you, he was 25 to 50 yards ahead of anybody else, and he always would shake his head like this, and that hair would fly around, and his medallion was going like this, and the older I got, the more I realized that's probably not a good way to run, but it was kind of cool looking. So anyhow, he goes around the first, and he's just blowing the competitors away, and comes around the second lap, and once again, he's way ahead, and I'm going, told you he was going to win. Hey, comes around the third lap. I'm looking for the, for the the for the guy, and I don't see him. <laughs> he's gone. I thought, you know, something happened. You know, what happened? I look on the track. I don't see him anywhere. It turns out that he Got around that, that, that on that third lap, and he got behind a light pole that held up the lights for the football stadium and, and quit. And I thought, once again, there's nothing insignificant. It's kind of a halftime score. He made the first two laps great. Hey, then faded, never finished the lap and never won. And uh, it was a crucial time. My, my daughter runs track, and she says, that's the toughest one, lap three in a four-lap race. The first one, everybody's excited, man. You blow out of there, and anybody could be in first on that one. Second one, a little tougher. Third one, you're grinding it out. You've got to keep your pace going. And then the fourth one, usually you can kind of see the finish line, and you're off and running. Boy, i got to believe as Journey set out on some of the visions and missions you're on, especially this building thing, that when they first announced it, announced it, everybody was just excited. Oh, man, we can have a home, and this will be great. And You can count on me to set up chairs and take them down, and, and uh, boy, I'll be there for you. And, and giving, the challenge for giving, I'm sure some of you said, hey, I'll give up a latte a day so I can see that thing come into reality, and we're all fired up together. But you know, it's been a little while now and those set-up-and-take-down-a-chairs get a little tiring, and all the decisions that need to be made get a little tough, and, and uh, the distant destination, the vision of it all is, is fading. Be careful, because it's very easy to slip into a discouraged state. There's nothing more, anything significant as a halftime score. Well, Nehemiah's situation, the opposition is growing. Verse 7, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, now he adds the Arabs, the Ammonites, the men of Ashdod, sounds like an interesting group, the opposition is growing. Heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead, that the gaps were being closed. They could no longer walk in and out and intimidate the people of God like they once did. Hey, it says that they were angry, and they plotted together, they, they became unified, and they, they came to come and to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. There was evil intent in those folks. It wasn't something Nehemiah had made up, like, hey, we're just envisioning opposition. No, this was real. These people were out to hurt them. As I was reading this, it it, it just brought back many memories and some good ones and some really tough ones in my heart about when we made uh, a journey like this. And we sold our existing building at Billings, and then we had to live in a high school for a year, and then we had to purchase land and build a building. And all those challenging decisions were amazing. And some of you don't feel that pressure, but the leaders do. It's a big, big deal. And along the way, people were saying, well, first of all, pastor, you're never going to be able to sell your current existing building. Nobody buys that. Maybe a casino might come along and pick it up or something, but nobody's going to buy a church. It's not a real market for them. And secondly, we should be able to find land easy enough. It's Montana, for crying out loud. And then that money thing, boy, that's a big deal. That's a lot of money. And on and on it goes. Well, those are things you've got to deal with. But then Along the way, all of a sudden, we began to realize there was obstacles with the city, how it was zoned, and decisions had to be made there. And some of our biggest potential contributors who were on board with this, some of them got moved by corporate America. Uh, Another family or two just left the church at that time. Well, that's discouraging to a leader. Uh, It began to cost more than we originally thought it would be. That's that's just kind of par for the course, I guess. But it still is tough. And, And then decision after decision, and then... Man, leadership people were under attack. We had three key leaders go down with major physical things. One with MS and he's doing fine with it. Another got a, a stomach cancer and ended up passing away. Great guy, just a great leader. And another our main leader for the whole a lay leader of the whole project, he got a brain tumor in the midst of the whole project. And it's like, God, what are you doing here? Plus the words that people say come at you, and lots of people are encouraging, but then you hear those ones, those negatives. Hey, you can never get this done. It's not going to happen. Why did you do this anyhow? We were fine in the church we were at. Why do we have to build such a big building? Why do we have to get so much land? On and on it went. We're never going to get the money, you know that. We're never going to pay this thing off. I don't like the colors of the carpet. You know, It, just, it was never ending. Well, after a while, it just kind of eats at your soul. It can get very discouraging. But I appreciate Nehemiah with all this opposition. And it, it gets worse. But in verse 9, it says, but we prayed. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They did what they could do. They posted a guard day and night. The threat was real. But they got on their face before God. And I I, I hope you listen to John at the end. I think he's going to invite you to prayer time this week sometime. Man, I hope that prayer base is strong because the enemy is not going to let this thing go unnoticed. He's going to tear out whoever and whatever because he knows you're going to make a big influence for the kingdom in the city of Bozeman. Nehemiah said, we prayed and posted a guard day and night. Meanwhile, verse 10, the people of Judah. Judah is a tribe of Israel. They're a leadership tribe. They're kind of a strong, uh, leading tribe, kind of a warring tribe. They lived in the vicinity. They helped with this project. And, it, and they came and they said this, the strength of the laborers is giving out. Oh wow, man, the strength is leaving. Uh, their legs are tottering and staggering. They're getting tired. They've been at this for a while. And there is so much rubble. Man, they got a loss of strength, and now they got a loss of vision. They can't see God anymore. They can't see the competency and the, and what the people can do to complete this. All they can see is the, the pile of rubble. And it's interesting to me, they were probably the ones that had been removing the pile of rubble so that the workers could come in and build the wall. So now all they see, they don't see the wall going up. They don't see that we're halfway done and the, and the end is within sight. They see the pile of rubble, so they're losing their vision. And God's not even... Uh, described here in this particular point. I'll tell you what, sometimes on Mondays, that's usually after a big day on the weekend, I'm pretty tired and I come to the office and I'm not a very positive guy and I, I'm really working on that because I know I've got God and I know we've got a great church and great things happen on Sunday but you just get tired and fatigued and, and I, I make my little list of things to do. I'm one of those kind of guys that checks them off and I'm done, I'm done with them and even a phone call. Oh man, can I even pick up the phone and make that call? Uh, It just gets discouraging sometimes. And then the the folks from Judah said, we can't can't even rebuild the wall. There's a loss of confidence. When you get to that point, you you can't see God. You can't see anything that you can do. We can't do it. We'll we'll stop behind the light pole rather than finish the race. You get that kind of mentality. That's a scary place to be. But the leadership tribe is saying that. And then verse 11, And also our enemies said, before they know it, the enemies are saying this, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. And we'll kill them and put an end to the work. You have got a loss of security. So you've got all these things coming at you at the same time from this group in Judah. Now I can deal, things, deal with things when they're right up front and, and I can see them. But that thing about, you know, there's something going on behind that you can't see, that's kinda, that kind of bugs your soul. There's a sense of, of a lack of security there. And as you guys are moving ahead with your vision... You can see some of the opposition, but I'll tell you, there's, there's some that we fight that's not flesh and blood. And I've got to believe the enemy, once again, is observing very closely what's going on. And he's going to try to filter in here and there, take people out, and allow this thing to go down. And you've got to stay strong in your prayer base. You've got to stay strong in your encouragement, because he will try to take you out. This is a lot of pressure on Nehemiah and his team that are building that wall. When I get to that kind of a point, and sometimes I get there and it's just like, this is overwhelming. I don't know what to do. I wish I could say that my heart goes immediately to God and I fall on my face before Him and say, God, you've got you to figure this out with me. I don't know what to do. But to be honest with you, sometimes I go another place. I begin to dream about another job. I begin to think I could do something else. You know, I could set up a little shop that would sell pizza pies and then also sell fishing flies out the back door. You know, a couple of my loves in life. I could do that. I could call it Steve's Pies and Flies (laughs) and just kind of live that way. But you know, I look at Nehemiah and I'm going, what a great example. He didn't do that. Well, it doesn't stop. In verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them, they obviously came and worked on the wall as well, told us ten times over, the Scripture says. Ten times over. In other words, over and over and over again. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Hey, Nehemiah, wherever you go, wherever you turn, they're going to attack you. Hey, people working on the wall, (laughs) beware, because wherever you turn, they will attack us. Over and over and over they said that. And these are people that that were working with them. They're saying it. You talk about a discouraging thing to the heart, and hearing it over and over, I mean, it can just take your heart from you. I remember one time we went to play a game with a a team called Oregon Institute of Technology, and they were called the the Owls, O-I-T, Owls, and they, they were a good team, but we were a good team. And we went into their home court. and It was a strategic game. We, we kind of needed to win this thing. And during practice, the coaches and a lot of the players, they kept saying, hey, how are we going to handle Helicopter White? There's a player on their team called Helicopter White. How are we going to handle that guy? I mean, he is so powerful. Man, he gets like 18, 19 rebounds a game. He can go to the hole anytime he wants and pretty much dunk on whoever he wants. What are we going to do? Helicopter White. Hey, you know, I've heard enough about Helicopter White walk away, somebody else says, how yeah, we going to handle helicopter white? Well, you hear it over and over. It gets into your heart. We get down to OIT, and to be honest, I'd never seen this man before, but I walked into the, the arena, and I expected him to be about as tall as a stage and, and a wingspan about the, as big as a stage. And, and just the name helicopter, is like he could get up there and just hang, you know. <laughs> and he could. And he could block shots like he wouldn't believe. Well, we got, we got just, you know, crushed by him. <laughs> and I think a lot of it was that over and over, ten times over. Hey, wherever you go, there's going to be helicopter white, you know, and, and they just beat us. Well, what do we do? Nehemiah was a wise leader. Therefore, he said, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. So you could see the wall was built up here at, hey, a little low point. And I posted them by families with, the swords, with their swords, spears, and bows. Smart move. Smart move. And they guarded those low points. So they're not guarding the high points. People can't get over those. The enemies can't get over those. The low points make sense. But families, that intrigued me. And I thought, you know, if I were to guard a low point in the wall there in Jerusalem and I had John as a buddy and we went and guarded that low point, we'd probably do a good job. I'd be pretty alert. But I'll tell you what, if Janice, Luke, Abby, Bethany, and Mary were there with me, I'd really be alert, because we'd be looking out for each other. So, smart move, put in the families, wise leadership, Nehemiah. And after I looked things over, he made an assessment, a reality, reality check. He said, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, your wives in your homes. Yeah. Corrected their vision. Way to go, Nehemiah. You know, it's interesting about the Israeli military. They don't go out and attack nations just for the sake of getting more land or whatever. The only time their military gets up and going is when they've been attacked or they see somehow their land is... is, is uh, somehow the opposition is going to get into their land and there's a security issue. So they, that's why they can get up and running just like that and they're highly motivated, a very powerful army. I see that even here around this wall in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time. Well, verse 15, kind of cool verse. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. We all returned to the wall, each to his own work. And they finished it up and they got her done. In 52 days, they finished the race. I want you guys to finish well, individually, in the visions that God has called you to, but as a church, I want you to finish well. I want you to win the second half. And I think Nehemiah has some things to help you with that. A couple of the things that can help you win the second half is by realistically understanding the situation at hand. You guys are 70% done with this building project. Wow. <laughs> but the second half, this last little quarter, can be the toughest, and be aware of that. People are a little more tired. Our morale may be a little bit down. There's been good planning, but there's more decisions ahead. The opposition's not going to rest. It's going to keep coming you at you. Know the, know the condition of your troops. Build a good prayer base. And that's the second one, too, is by totally relying on God for only what He can do. There's a lot that you guys can do. you got a great group here. You can accomplish a lot in and of yourselves. But there are some things that you can't do. And you better be crying out to God that He will do it. Otherwise, the whole thing could get stalled out. So build that prayer base. Thirdly, by wholeheartedly doing what God has asked. Be persistent at it. Say, God, just take my heart and put it in this thing again. Let's keep this thing going. I want to serve wholeheartedly. Look to the Lord Follow your leadership, grab hands, and let's go. At halftime, I loved it when we'd regroup and then, yeah, let's go, and wholeheartedly we'd go out and attack that second half. And then fourthly, by clearly focusing on the grander eternal vision. Man, it's easy to begin to just look at the chairs and, God, we've got to keep setting the stupid things up every week. Grander vision is that this is all a part of what God is doing in the life of a church and in this community, and people are being transformed by the message you're bringing. That's the grander vision. I love it when Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Oh, they're going to keep yakking. remember the Lord who is great and awesome and challenges them. I heard about three construction workers who were building a big church and this guy went over and asked one what he was doing. He was putting some bricks. He says, well, he says, I'm, I'm putting bricks together. Oh, good. Went to another guy working on, on, on that project. What are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm building a wall. So the guy had a little bigger vision, not just taking bricks and, you know, I'm building this wall here. Went to the third and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm a part of a team that is building a cathedral to the glory of God. He had the grander vision. I pray that you can keep the grander vision and that you're not just holding decision making committee meetings. And you're not just, I'll give a little money, you know, it's not just, I'll go and help set up or clean up or something like that. No, you're a part of this, this team that is on this vision, this, this journey that God has called you to. Keep that in your, in your mind and in your heart. I've got to believe that your heart will be right with you as well. And together, in a God-honoring way, you can complete the vision that God has called you to. I want to just pray in closing for the people who have been investing in this building project. And I don't know who, who you are, but I'm going to kind of single you out and not in a way that embarrasses you. I'm just going to ask. If you're a person that has been contributing financially to this project, just hold on for a second because I'm going to uh, just ask you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you in a little bit. But i got to believe, you know, with the recession and stuff, it gets tougher and tougher to part with those dollars. I know it's the same way in Billings. Some of you have committed yourself to praying that this project would be accomplished. And, and, uh, you know, once again, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Some of you have been on the decision-making side of things, and there's huge decisions, and I think a lot of that kind of funnels into a team, but John's carried a boatload of that, that pressure. And some of you are trying to lead spiritually in the midst of all that, in the transition, and these are big, big times. Some of you have been setting up and taking down chairs for years. <laughs> You're getting tired. You're getting tired. And many others have contributed in many different ways, time, talent, and treasures to this whole overall project, if if that represents you in some way, would you just slip your hand up? I'd like to pray for you. Yeah. Quite a few of you. That's cool. All right, so let's pray. Lord, watch over this entire church. Watch over the leadership. Watch over all the, just all the people that are serving. Lord, they've been working hard, working hard, and, and the, the, the wall, so to speak, is about three quarters built. They're, they can kind of see the finish line. I pray that you would just... Uh, kind of supercharge them within with your Holy Spirit and, and collectively uh, just, just take this corporate heart individually and together and allow them to just pour themselves out for you and for a greater cause than just building a building. Lord, they're, they're, they're putting together a ministry tool that is just going to impact and be shared with this community, and it's going to be a great deal. I pray that they keep the grander vision and focus. So help them right now at this very strategic time. I pray specifically for John and all the leadership and the others that represents. Lord, the, the, the amount of decisions that he has to make in a single day, uh, and relying upon you, and ones that uh, they just don't fit, and the opposition that I'm sure he receives, I pray that in a very special way, you will just uh, encourage his heart and keep this church moving ahead on the vision that you've called them to. So God bless them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.